Well, to quickly review here at the end of our series, dots, life's dots are not isolated. They are connected. And wise people understand and act like life's dots are connected. They make choices as if life's dots are connected, as if today and tomorrow are connected, as if the choices we make today actually build the life that we'll experience, as if the choices we make as individuals also impact who we'll be in relationships with others. So we want to live, if we want to be wise, it starts with living as if life is connected. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the idea of learning the lessons from past regrets, connecting past dots to today's dots, and learning the lessons from past regrets so that we don't relive regret this time or next time or any time in the future. And then last week, we talked about life's principles, that, that wise people leverage life's principles for their benefits, while unwise people try to break life's principles to the detriment. Because we don't break principles, we break ourselves against life's principles, that some dots in life always connect, and the dots in life that always connect, they always connect, and we don't break our, we don't break those dots, we don't break those connections, we break ourselves against those connections, against those principles. And that last idea of principles is actually where we're going to pick up today with one more principle that I did not talk about last week because I knew I was going to be start the message with it this week. We become like the people we spend the most time with. This, this is a principle of, of friendship, a principle of companionship, a principle of life that we become like the people we spend time with, okay? Like, like, like we, we, all, we all know that. Like, we all know that. You, you know that. I, like, you didn't need me to say that for you to know that to be true. We all know that in some way, in some shape or form. We all know on some level that how we think and what we choose and what we think is funny and the way we tell stories and how we dress and a whole lot of other things in our lives is impacted by the people that we surround ourselves with, right? This is why your parents, as you were growing up, if they were good parents, they were a little obsessive about who your friends were and who you spent your time with. Like, I find myself doing that now with my with my own daughters. Like, well, sure, you like spending time with so-and-so, but I think this person is even more, I mean, like, if I were you, I would want to spend a lot of time with that person. Not, not trying to make anyone sound bad, but I'm like, I, like, I want to like push my kids to be with people that I think are going to help them and be amazing examples and example amazing friends for them in their future. This is why at times in your life, maybe it was in college, maybe it was after college, maybe it's when your first time you moved to a new town and you didn't know anybody, you didn't think all that much about who you were actually spending time with. You kind of just gravitated most of the people who accepted you most, right? And because they accepted you, went, you went along with whatever they were doing, and it got you into some trouble that you wouldn't have gotten in if it was just you. Their influence pushed you in the direction, unfortunately, of some trouble, and you you didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about who they were. You just spent time thinking about, like, well, they accept me. That's who I'm going to spend some time with, right? This also explains why there are people that you work with that when you started working there, you did not like them at all. Let's be honest, every single one of you, you have a story of someone that you did not like at all when you started working at the place that you work, and you thought you'd never be friends with that person. Maybe you were going to be enemies, or you thought you'd be rivals with that person for the rest of time. And now, because you've worked together for four years, you've and spent so much time together for four years, you find yourself sending them memes and reels because you know exactly what they'll find funny. Like you've developed that kind of relationship, you know what they'll find funny, and now you. You'd actually start to find it funny on their behalf and you send it to make sure that they see it. It's why husbands and wives, like 
This also happens sometimes with friends who are super tight. Sometimes you don't even need to say a word, you just give a look, and the other person instantly knows what you're thinking, and they'll either crack up at a joke that you're made without saying a word, or they'll shudder at the judgment that you just passed without saying a word, right? You've spent enough time in life together to be on the same page in your brains without even ever opening your mouths. And it's not to say that you become some sort of like walking, talking replica of any one person. It's just to admit the honest truth that we all know we're shaped and influenced by the people that we spend the most time with. Which leads us to two very important truths today. One that I'm going to spend just a moment talking about, and then one that I'm going to spend most of today talking about. And the first important truth that we need to understand is that if you want to be wise, spend time with wise people. Like if we become like the people that we spend time with, if you want to become a wise person, you need to make sure that you are spending time with wise people because we become like the people we spend the most time with. Proverbs 13 verse 20, Solomon wrote this. And I've preached this numerous times over the years, but this, this is just some uh, an important thing to remember. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. That what Solomon knew, and Solomon as one of the wisest people who ever lived, what Solomon knew and what Solomon wanted to pass along to his children, that if you want to be a wise person, you have to spend time with wise people. That if you walk with wise people, the natural outflow is you will become wise. But a companion of fools doesn't just become foolish, they actually suffer harm. If you want to make better choices and better decisions from this moment forward, it might be possible that more than anything, you need to evaluate who you spend your time around. Because we almost by osmosis, we become wiser by being around wise people. You, you know this, when we spend time with someone who is wise with their money, it makes us tend to be wiser with eyes. It makes us evaluate or reevaluate how we're spending our money. When we spend time with someone who is wise with their schedule, we tend to be get wiser with ours. When you spend time around people who are wise about what they eat and how they take care of their bodies, it's human nature to reevaluate our own decisions about how we eat and how we exercise. Like if you've ever spent time around someone who's really disciplined and really wise and really knows what they're talking about with their food and you eat a meal with that person and it looks really, really different from what you eat, you know there's this thing where the next time you get your plate of unhealthy food, you kind of look at it and you go, this looks a lot different than what 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 they're eating how, how i know they work out looks like it, it tends to make us wiser about how we what we put into our bodies it's this is what solomon is talking about that the one who walks with the wise who eats with the wise who spends time with the wise who makes sure that the, that when they're going out for coffee it's with someone who's wise that how they spend their time on the weekends it's with wise people the one who walks with the wise will become wise it's promised in scripture that that's what will happen it's what will happen if you spend your time with wise people, you will become wise. And unfortunately, there's another promise that if you walk with fools, the promise is not that you'll become foolish. Actually, Solomon's understanding is that if you're walking with fools, you're already foolish because you'd have to be foolish to walk with or to associate or to spend time with foolish people. His promise, though, is not that you'll become foolish, because again, he already believed that to walk with fools, you had to actually be foolish. His promise is that if we walk with fools, we will suffer harm. And, and, and you already know that, right? Like you've already seen that play out in your own life or in the life of people that you love and the people that you care about. That if people, when people walk with fools, they don't just become foolish. They suffer the consequences, they suffer harm because of their proximity and the time that they spent with foolish people. So if you want to be wise, 
spend time with wise people. If you want, like, this is why as we talk about small, the idea of small groups, we talk about the idea of community, who we choose to do life with, who we choose to spend time with, who we choose to invest our time in community with, it matters. If you want to be wise, if you want to be wiser in life, if you want to make wiser decisions, be wiser with your schedule, wiser with your finances, wiser in your relationships, spend time with people who are wise. Spend time with people who make the decisions that you want to make, but you haven't figured out how to do it yet. Spend time with people whose families look and interact with each other the way that you want yours to look and interact. Spend time with people who are wise with their money the way that you hope to be with yours. If, if, if you're a single person and you're like, I want to, I want to be wise in the way that I date and the way that I like, you need to spend some time with people who were wise about the way that they did. Maybe they're still dating. Maybe they're people who are married and they and they went through dating and you loved the, like, when you look at the way their relationships are, you know they did something right along the way. If I'm just telling you, you need to figure out some ways in your life for whatever it is that you're trying to be wiser and to make wiser decisions. You need to figure out a way in your life, in your context, to spend time with wise people. See, here's, here's the truth, that your most important choice in life is who you'll spend your life with. Your most, like every single one of us, mine, yours, everyone we ever meet, the most important choice in life is who you'll spend life with. Your life, just in case no one has told you this, your life is far too important and far too valuable to let your relationships develop by chance. Make sure you develop relationships by choice where it's not just who accepted you and you went along with it, where it's not just who, you, who, who happened to be working in the office that you, that you got hired into, where it's not just who lives next to you or who happened to be assigned to your kids' sports teams, and that's the most important people in your life. Make sure that you don't let your relationships happen by chance, but that they happen by choice because your life and your and your 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 who you are, your character, your integrity, your wisdom, it's far too important and far too valuable. Your future is far too valuable to let it happen by chance. Make sure it happens by choice. See, I know we live in a world where discrimination is not okay. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. When it comes to your life and your relationships, you must discriminate. Your friendships, your relationships, they are not equal opportunity employers. You're open to all, but you're only close if they're wise and they're focused and they're people of integrity and they're people whose values match the values that you strive for and their life has demonstrated wisdom that you want to incorporate into your life. That's what it looks like to make relationships happen by choice. You actually must discriminate. And there's some people who you enjoy spending time with, but you know that they're not making you wiser. And so you're going to cut back and diminish the, their voice in, of, of influence in your life. There's, there's people that you, that you have a ton in common with because of where you came up and how you came up. But if you're honest, their influence has, made, has, has caused you to suffer for being around them because they're unfortunately foolish with their time and foolish with their money and foolish with their family and foolish with their influence. And they're using their influence actually to harm people around them. And you need to bring back the, the influence in this. There's some people that in your life that you know 
know they're flat out wise and they're not as exciting as those people who are a little bit foolish and have caused some harm. They're not as exciting, but they're better for you. And you need to, at some point in your life, decide that your life is not an equal opportunity employer. Your life is not an equally equal opportunity influenced by everyone. You're going to decide who you're going to be influenced by because the most important choice that in life that you'll make is who you will spend your life with. The most important choice in life all of us make is who will spend our life with. And while we're talking about that, here's the second conclusion that we want that I want to just drill down on today. If you want to be wise, choose to spend life with Jesus. If you want to be wise, choose to spend life with Jesus. Now, you're like, okay, I, I, that, that, that makes, so especially in a church context to say Jesus is why, like, yeah, of course, okay, so if we want to, like, Oh, this, this, this is where we're going. Like, I think this is so important for us to understand because as Jesus followers, I think at times, not always, but at times, we actually dumb down Jesus or we fail to acknowledge how truly wise Jesus was because, because the world so often says that Jesus was just a good teacher or just taught a lot of wisdom in our efforts to say Jesus was more than a teacher. You know, he was the savior. He was the Messiah. He was the son of God. He was God and a bod come to give us a nod of who God actually is. We have actually failed to acknowledge this incredibly important truth that Jesus was the wisest person to ever live. Like, like, you know, and, and I know even in saying that, like, that sounds a little bit blasphemous because, you know, we, you know the book of, you know, first Kings tells us that Solomon was, was one of the, was the wisest person who ever lived, but he came before Jesus. Okay. Which means there maybe have been some wiser people who have lived since Solomon. And I believe that Jesus was the wisest person to ever live. He didn't write as much as Solomon did. He didn't, he didn't actually record his own writings. Other people recorded his writings for him. But he, I think we need to understand and come to grips with the fact that while Jesus, yes, was the Savior, was the Messiah, is the Son of God, God come in a bod to give us a nod of how odd God, you know, like you know, whatever you know, other rhymes I could make, that, that Jesus was in fact God come to earth. And while he walked in a human body and while he was fully human, he was also fully divine with all of the wisdom that God has in a human body. And when people encounter Jesus, like there's, you know, there's four different accounts of Jesus's life by Matthew, by Mark, by Luke, by John, by Matthew who spent time with Jesus, by John who spent time with Jesus, by, by Mark who got his his, his gospel information from Peter, uh, by, by Luke who interviewed countless people to make sure that he got an accurate account. Like when these guys sat down to record their experiences or other people's experiences of Jesus and numerous eyewitness accounts, here's what they wrote. Here, here's how Luke, here's how Luke recorded what, the, what was true about Jesus' life. In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, talking about Jesus from the time he was 12 to 30 years old. Here's what we, what we know, what, what people describe Jesus doing from the time he was 12 to 30. For that 18 years of ice where this is all we know. It says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. What's the first thing said about how Jesus grew from the ages of 12 to 30? That Jesus increased in wisdom. That Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, like Jesus grew in four ways, but the very first one is that from the ages of 12 to 30, Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, I, I'm trying to, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm being sensitive as I say this. How many 12-year-olds do you know where the first people, the first thing that people say about them is that they're growing in wisdom? 
I like I was in youth ministry. I spent a lot of my life. I spent eight years, like 12, 12 years of my life involved in youth ministry, worked with a lot of 12 year olds. And I can't think of one where the first thing that I would say about them was that they were growing in wisdom. They, they were growing in smells. They were growing in, you know, humor. They were growing in adventurous, like, like they were growing to be funnier. They were, you know, they're growing in a physically, they're growing in a lot of ways. The first thing that I, I can't say I've ever met a 12 year old who the first thing I would say to describe them is that they grew in wisdom, but Jesus grew in wisdom. Let, let, let's, how many 21 year olds have you ever met that you would say, man, the first thing I know about this, they are growing in wisdom. How many 20, how many 30 year olds? Have you ever met, you're like, yeah, the first thing that I say about them is they're growing, like, there's not too many people in the world where the first thing that you'd say to describe them is that they cared about growing in wisdom. But that's how Luke, who, who talked to, who interviewed numerous people, Luke, who talked to Mary, Luke, who talked to every one of the disciples, Luke, who talked to, to Jesus's brothers, Luke said every single one of them, they just said, like, he, he, he grew in wisdom. That's what Jesus was up to from the ages of 12 to 30. John, who is, who is Jesus' beloved disciple, John the Beloved, John in John 1 verse 14 said this, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He, 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 God became flesh. God became human and he made his dwelling among us. We, it says we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He was full of grace, full of truth. This is such an interesting thing for John to say, that Jesus was fully God, fully man. God made his dwelling as a, as a, as a man. The word became flesh. God became man. Jesus was the embodiment of God and the embodiment of humanity before, with, without any of the blemish of sin. As such, John says Jesus was not just the embodiment of God in a bod. He was the embodiment of grace and the embodiment of truth. Jesus was the embodiment of grace and the embodiment of truth. That to know Jesus is to know truth. That to know Jesus was to know wisdom. That to, like, that to, know, to, to, have, to, have, to have sat at the feet of Jesus, to have known Jesus, was to have been face to face with the embodiment of grace and truth and wisdom. That's what it was to have known Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, Matthew recorded his, his thoughts of, of what, what people said after hearing Jesus teach. In verse 28, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Like one who had their authority. That's such an interesting way to talk about this. What this means is that when Jesus spoke and when Jesus taught, it didn't feel like regimented or regurgitated information, but it sounded and felt like deeply profound and timely wisdom that came from a well of personal wisdom and personal knowledge that when people heard Jesus teach, that was their response. When they heard other people that teach, they were like, well, you know, he got this from so-and-so and I don't think it's really personal and I don't think, you know, no, no, no. But when Jesus was teaching, it was, it was like, hey, we'll give you a whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge of it. Like, because what Jesus is saying, it comes from a deep well. This is personal. This is real life. This, this is not pie in the sky, religious stuff that only belongs in the temple and has no bearing on real life. This is godly wisdom spoken from the mouth of the Son of God 
that no one realized yet was the Son of God, that Jesus is the wisest person to ever live. That's what those who knew him best said about him. They believed that his life was marked by godly wisdom and his wisdom, that part of what proved that he came from God was that he was a person of such deep and profound wisdom that it seemed like it had come from someone or something beyond this world. Now that's what others said about him. But then you actually have what Jesus said about himself, which, which honestly is incredibly arrogant if it wasn't true. Here's what Jesus said about himself in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, right before the people said, man, when this guy speaks, he speaks as one who had a, has authority, not like the rest of our teachers. Here's the last thing that he said that made them believe that. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, after three, chapter, uh, three chapters of, of preaching and teaching on the side of a mountain, Jesus said this. After, after everything else he said, he said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Let me give you the parable in summary. The parable in summary is this. According to Jesus, if you listen to Jesus and do what Jesus says, you are wise. And no matter what the circumstances and the storms of life that come your way, your life will be built on the rock of godly wisdom if you, if you listen and not just listen, but you listen and apply and actually do what Jesus says. If you do what Jesus says, your life will be like it's built on a rock and it will not crash. Your life will be built on godly wisdom because Jesus has wisdom that comes from God. And if you listen to Jesus and if you do what Jesus says, you are wise. That's the parable, the summary of the parable. And if you hear, but you don't do what Jesus says, you are foolish. And when the storms of life come and the circumstances of life come, your life will fall apart. That's what, like, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus like, guys, here's what I got to tell you. If you listen to me and you do what I say, you will be wise and your life won't fall apart. Jesus himself claimed that he was the embodiment of wisdom that if you, if you wanted to be wise, all you needed to do was do what he told us to do and follow and live out his wisdom. If it, the, the most important choice that we can make in life is who we spend life with. And if we want to be truly wise, truly wise we need to make sure that we spend our lives with Jesus. And today, as, as we come to the close of this series, as we're, if, if, if you're trying to figure out like, well, how do you spend time with Jesus to make sure that you, that you get close to Jesus, close enough to Jesus to get his wisdom? I want to give you three S's of, of spending time with Jesus. These are the three S's of spending time with, spending, spending life with Jesus. Number one, I want you to study Jesus. Like this goes deeper than just want to read, read the Bible. I want you, like, th this is like, I, I want to know what Jesus said so his wisdom can transform my mind. 
This means that while, while the entire Bible is incredibly important, the entire Bible is true, the entire Bible is inspired, we focus a little bit extra on the, on the gospel accounts of Jesus' life so that we know what he said, we know what he taught, we know what he taught in public, we know what he said in private, we know that what he said after he performed miracles, we know what he said after he raised from the dead, we know what he claimed about himself. By the way, in a couple weeks, we're going to start a series all about what Jesus claimed about himself in, in John's gospel. But like this is, we want to know what Jesus said so his wisdom can transform my mind. We don't just read the Bible to check a spiritual box. We read the word of God. We read the gospels to get God's word, to get Jesus' word, to get Jesus' wisdom into my mind, into my heart, into my life so that my mind can be transformed from my broken thinking to his perfect wisdom. This is why the word of God is so vital and so, so important in our eyes. We want to study Jesus so that we know what Jesus said so his wisdom can transform our our mind. We memorize God's word so that God's word can be in our hearts. So it's not just something that's in front of our eyes, but it's something that belongs in our hearts. And we study Jesus so that we want to, because we want to know what Jesus did so that I can attempt to live like, like he would live if he was in my shoes, right? Like we want to know his personality, know his mind, know his wisdom so much that it actually transfers into our lives and our situations Today, now, now, when I was growing up, there was this this bracelet. This I think it started as a T-shirt, and then it became a bracelet, and then it was something that you know teenagers wore and people wore, and, and adult, I think adults wore it too. I'm not really sure, but some of you already know what I'm talking about. It's the WWJD bracelets, right? And if you know anything about those, WWJD stood for What Would Jesus Do, right? What 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 a great question. What would Jesus, you know, if 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 Jesus were facing a situation like this, what would Jesus do? But I, I want to give you a better question. Now it's not as pithy. It doesn't fit on a bracelet as well, but I want to give you the, the acronym WWJDRNIHAHWM. WWJDRNIHWM. In other words, what would Jesus do right now if he were me? I want to have studied his life and studied his example. I want to know what he did so I know what he would do if he was facing the same situation I'm facing right now. Because I, like, I want to make the same decision that Jesus makes. So I, in order to make that same decision, I need to know his life and what he did so I know what he would do right now if he were me. It's a less pithy question or a less pithy bracelet, but it's a more effective questions. What would Jesus do if he were in your shoes right now? If he was trying to to figure out how to invest and how to, how to, how to handle money that you're trying to figure out how to handle. If he was trying to make a decision about his future and where to walk and what to do after you graduate college. If he was trying to figure out like if Jesus was facing parenting, like you're facing parenting, if Jesus had your kid, if Jesus had your teenager, if Jesus had your aging parent, what would Jesus do if he were in your shoes right now? We need to know what he did, which is why we need to study his life. And then the third one is simply, I want to know how Jesus treated people so I can follow his example relationally. Like, I want to study his life. I want to study his words. I want to study his life. I want to study his relationships because Jesus lived life relationally, sinlessly, relationally flawless, relationally perfect. Like that Jesus's relation. I mean, like if you're, if you're 30 and you're facing the loneliness of life at 30, the, the, the loneliness of like, I don't know that I have any real close friends. Jesus had 12 incredibly close friends when he was 30 years old. We talk so often about the miracles of Jesus. Jesus had relationships, deep, profound relationships with 12 people when he was 30. 
I mean, like, we need to study what Jesus did and how Jesus treated people because we can have the relationships that Jesus had only if we actually follow his example relationally. So we want to study Jesus. The first S of spending life with Jesus, you got to study Jesus to get to know Jesus, to get to know how he thought, what he said, what he spoke, what he did, how he treated people so that you can emulate those things in your life because how Jesus treated people was wise. What Jesus did in every situation was wise. What Jesus said in every situation, what Jesus taught in every situation is wise. If we want Jesus' wisdom to get into our life, we need to study Jesus and his wisdom. Number two is we need to seek Jesus. We seek Jesus and we do this through prayer. We do do this through prayer where we ask God, we ask Jesus for wisdom. You seek his direction, his wisdom, his guidance, his, his discernment. This is, this is what it is to seek Jesus. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it, 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 where we're going like, I, I want to I know Jesus so that I can know wisdom. James chapter 1, J, James, who was Jesus' own brother, said this, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Let me put, take out the middle of that. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God and it will be given to him. That, that this is a, that the, the, the asking God for wisdom, praying to God for wisdom, seeking God for wisdom, saying, God, I need your wisdom. That's a prayer that God always answers with yes. Now, sometimes you're given wisdom that you don't like and we don't end up putting it into practice, but that's not God failing to give wisdom. It's us failing to act on it. So let's make a decision that we're not just going to study Jesus, but we're going to seek Jesus's wisdom. We're going to ask as, as we go to Jesus in prayer, as we go to God in prayer, that we're going to ask God, we're going to ask Jesus to fill us with wisdom. And so I got four, four prayers for wisdom that I'm going to give you today. We're going to pray for direction. We're going we're to seek God's guidance for our next steps. You're, you're, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do at the end of college. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do after you finish your master's. You, you got uh, some, some job options. You've got to figure out how you're going to parent and what, what method you're going to choose when you're parenting. How, when you're parenting your kids as they're little, when you're parenting them as, as they're older. You've got, you're figuring out, you're in your first year of marriage and you're trying to figure out like, who do we want to be as married people? God, today and every day from this day forward, would you give me direction? Would you help me know what next steps to take? You don't have to give me five years in the distance, but would you give me my next steps for today? We pray for for direction. We pray for wisdom. God, would you give me wisdom that I couldn't possibly have in my own experience? God, there's some things that I, I don't even see them on the thing, but God, you know, every moment, every day, I'm making a ton of decisions. And for all of those decisions, whether it's about what I eat or where I go or where I drive or you know how I spend my money or what what what, what I do when I go to Target or what how how I act towards people in in you know in at, at my kids' soccer practices at my kids' basketball games, God, would you just give me wisdom that I can't possibly have? Help me to be wise in how I treat people. Help me to be wise in how I spend my money. How to be treat? How to help me to be wise in, in what I'm what I'm choosing every in the little decisions of everyday life? Would you give me your wisdom for perspective? God, help me see this situation the way that you would see this situation. Help me see this decision the way that you would see this decision. Help me see from your perspective. Help me see my decisions in my life from your perspective. And then finally, discernment. God, help me to hear what's not being said and help me to see what's not being shown. A prayer for that, that we'd be able to not just have wisdom for the obvious, 
wisdom to understand the principles of life, but for the things that aren't so obvious, for the things where someone seems to be holding something back. God, I want to know what, I, I want to hear what's not being said. I want to see what's not being shown in this situation. Help me to see what's unseen. Help me to hear what's, un, what's unheard, help, what, what's not being spoken. God, help me to see through the fog to see what's really true in this situation. God, would you give me your discernment? And then finally, we come to a place of where uh, the, the third S. So we study Jesus, we seek Jesus. And the third S is we submit to Jesus. We, we submit to Jesus that, that to be truly wise, according to Jesus, was to live life in a way where what Jesus said is what we do. That's what submission to Jesus looks like. And that's maybe ter- terrifying. If you've been following Jesus for a while, it's probably not so terrifying. If you're a new believer, if you've recently come to faith in Jesus, it's possible that the idea of like, you're like, I trusted Jesus for salvation. I didn't know it came with submission. I might've been a little bit less likely to choose salvation if I knew it came with submission. Here's the thing. The least scary thing that you can possibly do is to submit your life to Jesus. Those, those of you who've been following Jesus for a while, they could tell you that, that, that because they've submitted their lives to Jesus, life has worked out in ways that they didn't know it was possible. That, that, that every time Jesus told them to do so, every time they followed Jesus, like, it led them to a place of, oh, I'm so glad that I followed that. Because I have peace inside, because I have peace in my relationships, because I have peace that I didn't know was possible. I have joy that I didn't know was possible. I'm living life that I didn't know was possible because I followed Jesus when I seemed impossible to follow Jesus. We submit to Jesus that what Jesus says goes, and that's the end of the conversation. Now, internally, it may not be the end of the conversation. There's some things where we struggle to submit to Jesus, where we have our way, and then there's Jesus' way, and we really want what's our way. Or, or like, you know, someone taught us, a parent, a loved one, a grandparent, someone that we thought was wise, they told us that this is what was wise, and now it seems to con- contradict with what Jesus says is wise. And I'm just telling you, in every situation of life, the best and wisest thing that you can do is to submit yourself and your life and your relationships and your finances and your and your and your 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 friendships and your marriage and your parenting and your career and your education and your very next step and your next steps for days to come the wisest thing that you can do is to submit all of that to Jesus to do it today and to make a decision that every day from this day to come Jesus has final say in my life because he is wise. So where Jesus wants us to go, we'll go. Where, where When he says jump, we jump. Where he points, we'll go that direction. Where he leads, we'll follow. That whenever Jesus asks anything of us, the answer is yes. Because to truly know wisdom is to know that Jesus is wise. And if we want to make the best decision we can make about who we spend our time with and who we spend our life with, we need to make sure that we spend our life studying Jesus, seeking Jesus, and in submission to Jesus who is truly wise. So as we connect the dots of life, as we spent these few weeks talking about how to make sure that next time or this time is better than last time, how, how, to, how to connect the dots and make sure that we understand that life's dots, they're not isolated, but they're connected. Jesus helps us see every connection of all the dots in life because he 
is truly wise. He sees further than we can see. He is wiser than we are wise. He knows the direction that we're supposed to go when we don't know the direction that we're supposed to go. He hears what's, he, he, he sees all, hears all. He, ha, he sees what is really true when life is really foggy for us. So we study Jesus, we seek Jesus, and we submit to Jesus so that we can spend our lives with Jesus. Because if we become who, we're, who we spend the most time with and who we spend the most of our life with, Let's make sure we spend our life with Jesus so that we can become wise like Jesus. And he'll connect every dot that we need connected today and for every day to come. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And God, today, thank you for Jesus and thank you for his wisdom. Thank you that he was the wisest person to ever live and that everything we need to really know about life we hear and we see and we know from Jesus. Thank you that we can study his life, study his words, study his example, study everything about him. Thank you that we can seek you, God, as, as Jesus has made a way for us to seek you and to connect with you and that we can ask for wisdom, we can ask for direction, we can ask for guidance, we can ask for perspective, we can ask for discernment. God, that only comes from you and from your Holy Spirit. And God, thank you that Jesus is worth submitting to, that you are worth submitting to. God, that, that as, as we seek to, to have the dots of life connected and understand how they connect, God, we can look to you, we can seek you, and God, ultimately, we can submit to you knowing that as we submit to you, our lives are in strong and capable and wise hands that can be trusted with our entire lives. So God, help us to, help us to study you. Help us to study Jesus. Help us to seek Jesus. Help us to submit to Jesus. And as we do that, would we find ourselves living wiser in our world than we've ever lived before, living lives that are marked by wisdom, marked by peace that flows out of that, marked by, marked by joy and true life that flows out of the wisdom that you've given us through Jesus. So God, help us to follow Jesus. Help us to spend our lives seeking and studying and surrendering and submitting to Jesus. And out of that, help us to live lives that are amazing because of what Jesus has done for us through us, and in us. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.